Uh, we're traveling through the book of 1 John. If you're just joining us, we've got some visitors today. We're preaching right through that. And today we're in, in chapter 2, and we're going to pick up at verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, turn the back end of the Bible, and you can flip back. It's 1 John. Uh, it's right there, and it'll be on the screen. It's on the web page, all those kind of things you can check out there. But I want you to think about this statement. I'm sure you probably have heard it. It makes no difference what you believe as long as you're sincere. I hear people say that to me all the time, especially in the religious realm. Yeah, Glenn, I, I get the idea that you're a Christian. I know you come from that, that perspective. But, you know, it really doesn't matter what we believe as long as we're sincere. You know, it sounds good. And you think, oh, gosh, do I want to really offend somebody? You don't have to offend people. Just tell them what God is doing in your life, what it means, what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And if they get offended, that's their problem, not yours. You don't have to punch a Bible down somebody's throat. You never, you never lead someone to the Lord by beating them over the head with the Bible. This generation especially. There may have been generations ago you could scare into doing what was called the right thing or whatever you thought was right. But in our world today, it doesn't work. And so as I, I read through that, that statement expresses a personal philosophy of many folks that I come in contact with, and you do too. But I doubt whether most of those folks have, that have championed that philosophy, have really thought it through. Uh, is sincerity the magic ingredient that makes something true? Is sincerity the magic ingredient that makes something true? If, if this is true, it should be true in every area. Not just every area of life, not just the religious or spiritual side. So let me ask you this. If you believe that all you need for skydiving, jumping out of an airplane, is a very strong umbrella. Or I'm going to drink some good poison today and I'll be fine. Or my, one of my favorites is the red traffic light means go as fast as you can. If you've driven in the city lately, I've seen that lately. Now, for those of y'all that don't hang out here much, we don't even have a traffic light in our county, you know. Uh, it's that kind of world in which we live. But, you know, in the physical world, what we believe is crucial. Let me give you an example. Now, you know, maybe you don't like dumb stuff or funny stuff, but I tend to have kind of a weird sense of humor. There's, a, there's an award called the Darwin Awards, uh, and it basically is, is, this is what the Darwin Awards is. It honors Charles Darwin, the father of, of evolution. You've probably heard that. But it commemorates those who improve our gene pool by removing themselves in the most spectacular way possible. In other words, instead of stupid pet tricks, this is stupid people tricks uh, kind of thing. Here's one from 1993. Police said a lawyer was demonstrating the safety windows in a downtown Toronto sky, skyscraper when he crashed through a pane of glass with his shoulder and plunged 24 floors to his death. The police spokesman said Gary, 39, fell to the courtyard in Toronto Dominion Bank Tower as he was explaining the strength of the building's windows to the visiting law students. Gary had previously conducted the demonstration of window strength without mishap, according to police reports. And this is one of my favorite lines of this. It says, and the managing partner of the law firm that employed the deceased told the Toronto Sun newspaper that Garee was one of the best and brightest members of the 200-man association. Now think about that. Hey, yeah, I'm gonna, this one is unbreakable. I'm going to jump out and I'm going to hit it as hard as I can. Now, you know, it is what it is. But in the physical world, what we believe is critical. The same God 
that made the physical world is the same God who made the spiritual world as well. All the sincerity in the world will not turn a lie into the truth. And all the insincerity in the world will not make a truth become a lie. A thing is true or false simply because it's true or false. So in our passage today, John shares three little truths. Three truths of how not to be deceived. And I really want you to grab some of these because I think there's some important things for us. If you just read this quickly, you think, what is all this about? But let's look at verse 18 and 19. First, we're going to recognize the sign of the times. John is telling his readers and his listeners, recognize the signs of the times. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are not of us. All right, that just sounds like double talk to me when I read that the first time, right? Okay, okay, time out. John, help me out here, John. What are you trying to tell me? But notice that John emphasizes two terms in this little two verses here. And both make it clear that the these are the days, the last days, the days that demand discernment. He simply says, this is the last hour. And he begins by pointing out that it's the last hour. And in a sense, it is the last hour. But So what does that mean? You know, how can John be right? You know, to put it frankly, there's a whole lot of hours have passed since this letter was written. John, if this is the last hour, you missed it. We're still here. But John is not speaking chronologically so much as he's speaking theologically. You see, when Jesus appeared on the scene, when he, when he broke into history, when he came to this earth, when he lived a sinless life, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the grave, the last hour began. He conquered death. He conquered all. And it will cultivate when he comes again to our world to take us home to be with him. So how much can we know about this last hour? Guys, God's measurement of time is not like ours. Remember what Peter says in chapter 3? He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but his patience toward you, and, wishing that, and not wishing any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done will be exposed. Notice, Peter reminds us that when the end comes, it will be a surprise. A surprise for everyone, including Christians. So if you hear people say, hey, the end of the world is such and such a date at such and such a time, let's sell everything and climb to the mountain and watch. In my lifetime, we've had people that do that. In the 70s and the 80s, we had people that put out all kinds of books that sold everything, went out and tried to jump on the tail into Haley's Comet. I mean, there's all kinds of those things that happen. But listen to what the Bible says. It's not going to be like that. Matthew reminds us, therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. When will Jesus come? When it's his time. He broke into history at an unexpected time. He will come back at an unexpected time. He can come back any time. You know, I bless my old grandma, uh, raised staunch as some big God. She was, she was one of those says, well, it looks like a good morning. Jesus could come today. And she really believed that. You know, 
I wish I could think about that all the time, but I, I don't remember that every day. Like, oh yeah, this is the day Jesus could come. I know it's true, but my heart doesn't think, what do I need to do today because Jesus could come? You know, it's a growing pattern, I guess, for some of us. But you know, certain signs were revealed that it is the last hour, and one of those signs John tells us is the presence of the Antichrist, the presence of the Antichrist. The word Antichrist really has two meanings, by the way, guys. It, it means, an, the anti means in opposition to or against Christ, or instead of, depending on the context. And by the way, the word Antichrist that we always hear in the uh, Revelation books and all those things, it's only five times in the New Testament. It's all in the book first of first and second John, by the way. Um, and so the Antichrist is one who stands in opposition to Christ or one who stands in place of Christ. Um, so the term is broadly describes anyone who opposes Jesus Christ and what he stands for. We have a lot of Antichrist in our world today. Pick up any newspaper, listen to any podcast, pick up any kind of TV, radio, or whatever you listen to, or maybe you're like me, you just kind of like want to shut it off because it's so, ah, you know. It's not like it used to be. You know, we used to argue and discuss things in a mild manner or at least had respect for each other. Now it's like, ah, I'm going to defriend you because you like so-and-so. You don't hear him. And I'm like, oh, good grief. It's our world. The Antichrist are here. Don't kid yourself. Paul taught in 2 Thessalonians these words about a future person who would embody all the opposition to Christ. He calls him the man of lawlessness, and many people call that the Antichrist that will come at the end. Paul says, now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by either a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seen to be from us for the effect of the day that the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against so every so-called God or object of worship, and he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. There will come a person at some point in, in human history that will embody every hostility towards Christ that's ever been expressed in all the world's history. You see, if, if you think about it through the through 2,000 plus years of church history, Christians have found it difficult to resist the temptation to explain who is the Antichrist. Now, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny because I, I see this all the time. You'll see it on newspaper tabloids. You'll see books out in bookstores from Christian books to secular books. Here's the Antichrist. You know, it's, it's, it's funny to me because we don't know. It will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. You know, think about it. Who, who, who's been named as the Antichrist? Well, you can pick almost any pope if you want, from Pope Leo to Pope Benedict XVI. How about Nero? I think there's some good cases to say that part of what the Scripture was talking about was Nero. Uh, Napoleon was considered the Antichrist. Hitler. Sun Yung Moon. Gorbachev. Henry Kissinger. We even talked about U.S. presidents. In fact, did you even know what FDR was thought about being the Antichrist? Interesting. And Truman. I just read a cool book on Truman, by the way. Talk to me about that. It was really neat. Uh, from Trump to Obama to Bush to Reagan to Clinton to JFK to even Thomas Jefferson. Here's, some, here's an interesting tidbit. The only president I could not find a reference to as an antichrist was Gerald Ford. Figure that one out. I don't know. That was an interesting thing. So it's kind of an interesting thing. There are many others, just to name a few. Do not get hung up on what the world is telling you. 
Read the Scripture. Let God speak to your heart. Folks, all John is saying here that there is an appearance of men and women who oppose Jesus Christ. It's a precursor for the coming of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the person of lawlessness, and that's all. When John writes, many Antichrists have come. He's not saying it's the final and singular figure. He's saying, what he's saying more, it's about the spirit that will characterize the final one that will come. We are definitely living in that world today. You look at our churches, all the major denominations are dying, even Southern Baptists. Oh my gosh. You know, most churches are not doing well. At other countries in the world, I'm talking about the United States and other parts of the world, they are. But you know, it's not about how big your church grows or what you do, those kind of things. It's about bringing people to a relationship with Christ. You know, we're all part of the body of Christ. You know, I hope uh, most of us here choose to work out our faith and to be part of this congregation, this place, this time that God has put us here to grow together, to share our faith together, to reach out and touch others, to help others, to, to lead others to come to know Him through here. You know, remember that that John was writing to a community of faith where there was disunity, where there were a lot of people that were teaching, oh yeah, I'm special because I have special knowledge and I have, I've learned some things that you don't, so I am much better than you. If you really want to be a true Christian like me, you've got to come out and join my group over here. That's what he's talking about when the group that left, uh, if they had not been with us, they would have continued with us. They, they pulled out and tried to do their own thing. You know, they, they had a special revelation. Uh, they were critical of the church leadership and pointed out what they perceived as ineffection and <laughs> imperfection in Christ's church. So naturally the members were confused. Why did our friends leave? What? Were those people right? Maybe there are problems here. Hey, guess what? Every local church, any local church, that local church here in the scripture, even our local church is not perfect. We are imperfect. I would tell you to look to your right and left and see who... Uh, who uh, will cause you problems, who could be difficult or irritating, but I don't want to get us all in trouble. Because every one of us can be, right? But we're family. We're family. You know, you were born into the family of God through new birth, through a, a faith and a trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so is everyone else who has ever accepted Christ. We did not get the to pick the folks who we want in our family. But God did. God knows what we need, who we are. Just like life. Did you get to pick all your family members? I would ask you, are there any family members you'd like to trade off? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, no, there are no lifetime contracts, no trades. They don't even offer those in baseball anymore, I don't guess. You know, it is what it is. Every family has hurt feelings and misunderstanding. And we don't bail out. Every church will have hurt feelings and misunderstanding. Don't bail out. Be committed to the work of Christ through the church. So here's the second thing he tells us. We need to remember our resources. Remember our resources. Let's look at verse 20 through 24. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. For what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. John is saying, go back to the basics. He's telling us we really have two weapons available in our arsenal to combat heresy. There was heresy in this church about, well, the Father, Jesus is just kind of a fake spirit. You know, he really didn't rise from the dead. It's just kind of an essence, and it's this, and, you know, we're going to be this, and you don't have to worry about your body. The I think the Gnostics is what he's fighting here in this church, early church. You can read about all that kind of stuff online. They would say they had a special knowledge, and they were better than everyone, and then they would, would have secret things, and they would hold them things up. And it, no different than our world today in some groups. But every Christian has two weapons available. The false teachers of John's day used two special words to, decide, to describe their experience, knowledge and anointing. But John says, let me tell you about true knowledge and true anointing. John points out that all true Christians know God and have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God's Word. That's our first weapon. You have heard this from the beginning, meaning here are the teachings that the apostles have laid out that Jesus has left to us to grow in faith and knowledge. Here are the teachings of the Scripture. Clearly, it's a reference to the gospel that's been given to the apostles by the apostles. Since the early days of the church, Satan has actively opposed the truth of God's Word, especially in regards to the gospel. You know, a major theme throughout the entire New Testament is God's people need to develop discernment so they can avoid spiritual deception. Sometimes we forget about just using our brains and our hearts to think, you know, if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it probably is a duck. You know, you can dress things up, but you know, a pig, still a pig is a pig. Put all the baby powder you want. We get to go to the fair and we get to watch all these animals coming in here in the near future. They'll all be pretty and walk good and smell good. And most of them end up on somebody's plate somewhere, right? you think about those things use discernment you will avoid spiritual deception second timothy paul writes these words to his son in the ministry paul says to timothy but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Lois and Eunice's mother and grandmother had taught him well. Timothy's father was a Greek. His mother was a Jew. He was kind of a half-breed, if you want to call it, whatever words you want to use there. And yet God reached in and saved him. And then the scripture that I have, that my church wrote to me in the Bible they gave me for graduation, the scripture that I memorized, that I have to write out here because I will say it, American because that's how I know it but there's what ESV says all scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God literally it's a, it's a gender neutral thing here may be complete and equipped for every good work that's why God's word is so important Read it. 
listen to it, think upon it, pray upon it. You know, if you hear it, it gets in. If you read it, it gets in. If you listen to it, when somebody speaks it in Sunday school class or from the pulpit, let it become part of you. You know, John sets a standard when he writes in verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? You see, every modern cult goes astray on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Some deny his death on the cross. Some deny his deity. He's just a good guy. Some talk in a mystical fashion that the Christ within us, that he was just a, a, a being that just showed up to show us the way. He wasn't even a human. He wasn't even really God. He was just kind of a guiding light. Folks, he was all God and all human. That's why he could die in my place and your place upon the cross for our sins. But when we deny the Son of God, when people do that, they prove they don't have a relationship with the Father. And in the words of John, they are liars, deceivers, and antichrists. Not my words, Scripture. So that's one of the tools we have. The second is God's Holy Spirit. God's Spirit. Verse 20, he says, And you have been anointed, and he repeats it later on in verse 27, but the anointing that is upon you received from him abides in you. This means that every person who has trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior has the same anointing, has the same Holy Spirit. The word picture here is found in the anointing. I guess in an in another way, it describes the coming of the Holy Spirit to live within us. In the Old Testament, the word anointing here, you would hear about the anointing with oil when a king was chosen. Samuel would pour a horn of oil upon David when he was king and, and Saul. I mean, there were different times that, the, that those things were a representation of God being. You know, and even in James, we talk about pray for one and, and anoint one with oil for healing. It's a representation. It's not that oil has anything to do with it. It's the, it's the representation of God is with you. God is in you. God is here. That's what it's about. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes these words to us in chapter 1. He says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You know, false teachers of that day, as today, were claiming that Jesus, that they had some special power that you know, was even better than Jesus. We know more than he did. That knowledge from the Spirit and others that you miss, you miss out. I have, a, I have a greater knowledge than you do. You can't just hang out with the Bible. That's not, there's more to life than this. Virtually every cult adds something to it. They claim some special revelation beyond what the apostles. And John is basically saying, folks, we don't lack anything. You may not be noble, he's telling folks there. You may not be educated, you may not be powerful, but don't let those false teachers deceive you by intimidation. Don't let them convince you that there is an anointing and a knowledge that you don't have. And that goes for them as well as us today. All that is a lie. There's not anything else that we can find other than through the Scripture in Jesus Christ. You know what it means to be saved, he's telling them. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, we ask him to save us, to come into our heart, to forgive us of our sins, to become more than just a word in our life. Whatever words we use, whether it's a church lingo that we understand or not understand, but when we give all of who we understand about us to all we, who we understand about who Jesus is, a miraculous, life-transforming, life-changing event takes place. 
And that event takes place, you're forever changed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture's saying here. Every believer has those two safeguards to protect them from being misled. Don't forget, you have God's Spirit and God's Word. The Holy Spirit's doing His part if you're obedient and submitting to the Word. You'll see it and say, ah, didn't realize that was there. Whoa. Well, that answered my question of why I need, don't need to be doing this kind of stuff. As a result, believe, true believers won't be led astray. Here's the final truth as we wrap it up today. Resist falsehood, excuse me, resist falsehood <coughs> with the truth, verses 25 through 27. And this is the promise that he made us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But he has anointing teaches you about everything. And it is true and it is no lie. Just as it is taught you, abide in him. Now, it's interesting when I read that real quick. I'm like, wait a minute, time out, God. Whoa, 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 John. You have no need that anyone should teach you? Okay, you just told me I need to be a good teacher. You tell these things elsewhere. What does that mean? You've got to understand it in the context. It's not a denial that we need godly teachers to instruct us. If that were the meaning of his whole letter, it would undermine the whole letter he just had written to us here. But, but it is, which is self-teaching. He would also contradict the Apostle Paul who taught that God gives gifted teachers to the church to help believers grow to maturity. If you go back to Ephesians and read that in chapter 4. He's not invalidating the authority of pastors or, or Bible teachers to instruct their congregations, but rather the authority of false teachers. That's what he is rejecting here is the false teachers. For if they were supporting their new theological insights on the authority of the Spirit, then in fact all believers share equally in the same Spirit would diminish that authority. He's affirming the truth that the believer in Christ is not dependent upon a priest, upon anyone else to interpret the Word of God. That's one of the beauties that Baptists, one of our priesthood of the believer, meaning you don't have to come to me for your forgiveness of sins. You don't have to come to me as pastor to help you go to God in prayer. You can do that. You can read the Bible for yourself. Now you may say, hey, I don't get this. Can you help me guide me? Godly teacher will help guide you in the way of what the Bible says. But it's open there for you, for all of us. That's what it's about. You know, when I read through that, it, it speaks to my heart that John says, you have the truth, you have the spirit. Let that, <clears throat> let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, notice, he stresses that we abide in what we've heard from the beginning instead of running after everything new. All the new revelations offered by individuals. And, and in our world today, think about Joseph Smith, think about Muhammad, think about Buddha, think about others that, that have enough truth. You think, oh, there's some neat things there. But when you really get down to it, what do they do with Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? That's my. Somebody said, well, aren't you afraid of, of my kid going away to college and and checking out these other groups? If you've taught them well, you don't have to be afraid. I always tell kids to come back and ask me from college or there on. I said, what do you think, Brother Glenn? I said, tell me what they do with Jesus. Well, they just think he's a good teacher. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe he's the son of God. You just answered your own question. Ah. What do you do with Jesus? That's an easy one for me. I hope it is for you. You see, don't chase after something new just because it's new. 
You will not be dependent on human wisdom because you have a design, divine source of truth and divine resident teacher inside. We abide in the truth. It does matter. It does matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe. It does matter that you believe as long as you're sincere. <laughs> That's utter nonsense. Sound doctrine really does matter. Beware of any teacher who wants to take you beyond the revelation of God's Word. John has told us some things that are true and some things that are not true, and the way to tell the differences is to remain in the Word and listen to the Holy Spirit. Held true for His congregation, holds true for us today. Get into your Word. Let God's Spirit speak to you. If you've never come to a place in your life where you know Christ, in a personal relationship, and you struggle with that, talk to one of us that know him, and we'll be glad to share our faith with you. What it means to walk with God. So when times of trouble come, you know, my heart broke when I saw the churches where I had pastored before. And I don't know what Pleasant Hill, if they had any damage or not, the tornado went right over them. But the last two churches before I went here went through that tornado. In fact, the house we lived at on Holiday Drive had some roof damage. I could see it from the drone on the news where all that was destroyed in Jeff City. People I know, my best friend in, in Eldon, two blocks from his business that was leveled, but his business was able to put a lot of people there. The janitorial supply company had no power for three days. Generators didn't do much. Think about all the businesses that are struggling. Think about all of us up here. And we're not on national news anymore. Pray for those that are struggling. God, what are you going to do? God is still in control. Don't understand it. I'm not going to say, well, this is that, that's because of it. No. We live in a sinful world. Things happen. We are not in a perfect place. But I know one that is perfect that will meet every need you have if you'll trust him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today knowing it does matter what we believe that it's an important aspect to our life, that it touches us in such a way that when Jesus Christ becomes more than a word, it gives us a firm foundation on which to stand. When our world gets rocked, we can cling to you. Lord, I pray for all those that are hurting today, those that are physically and emotionally and spiritually hurting, those that are, are hurting financially, those that are hurting because they just can't get in the fields, those, Lord, that, that have lost everything of things but still have you. Remind them of the important things of life. Or guide and direct us. Bless those that are in the hospitals and nursing homes and hurting today. Those that are in accidents and sick. You know who they are and the needs they have. Take care of them, Lord Jesus. Bless us now as we eat and fellowship together, as we share with one another. Encourage us, guide us, and direct us this week as we become the light that you intend for us in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.